0: This was a really interesting topic for me. We're talking addiction to start things off. It is a beast with tornado force and it takes, I think, incredibly real brave warriors to face it head on. Uh, And it also comes in various forms. My guest today is Sarah Roberts. She's someone who has not only faced her demons head-on, but then decided to be able to help others to be able to face theirs. So she found sobriety at 29 uh, and emerged as well with a newfound love and knowledge for health and wellness and fitness. And she's written about it in her books and her blog, and she talks about it. So we are going to have a pretty fascinating uh, podcast in front of us. This is episode 24 of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, you can always head to Extension Marketing for more information. Sarah, it's so good to see you.
1: I'm so happy to be here.
0: Uh, and this is different format for us cuz we did meet on the set of CTV Morning Live mm-hmm. and I think it was for the first for the book, the yes. the 28-day Kick Your Sugar Challenge. Did yes. I get it
1: right cuz it is a mouthful. <laughs> mouthful. the 28-day Kick the Sugar Challenge. Yeah. Yes. That's when we met. That is when we met. That's not when your story starts. That is not when I was 29. (laughs) No. And I guess my story started way before Mm -hmm. I was 29. Um, But yeah, so you touched on an addiction, and I think that's probably where we'll kind of start. Let's start there, Mm -hmm. I think,
0: because it leads us into the the addiction of alcohol. But then it kind of, I think, will emerge into something that the everyday person is going to realize
1: affects them as well. So I was someone who as a kid, I think I um, never felt really um, like I belonged, like I never really felt connected to my mother. And this is never about pointing fingers. And my mother and I've had a lot of conversations about this, and she um, she knows that there was a part that she played in that as well, and then there was also just the fact that that's just sometimes life, and so my mother uh, wasn't necessarily mothered in the way that she might have needed to have been mothered when she was a little girl, and so she just really did what she knew how to do, and it took me a long time to come to a place of forgiveness with my mother and to realize that she was just a human woman doing the best that she could. Oh, oh, I'm
0: going to go back a little bit more. Like, Where where are you from? I've just known you from here in the state, yeah. but where's home? Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Great question. Home is in this body, to be honest with you. I feel that way because I don't really have a sense of where home is. I was born near Toronto. I lived there for several years. I moved to the United Kingdom as a young girl. I was there for three years. I moved back to uh, Toronto and then had another move within the, same, within the GTA. And then I moved to Ottawa. And I lived here when I was nine till I was 14. And I loved living in this city. And I really felt like I started to develop an identity here um, and a group of friends who were really yeah. supportive. And- right.
0: Like, I mean, I can understand it as, you know, in the early formative years, like, you know, you're in daycares and you're in kindergarten, like those years, you kind of yep. learn social skills. But yep. I, I can see at nine being able to then feel I'm going to be here. I have a chance to kind of nurture these yeah. friendships. So okay, nine to 14. Where in the city? Like
1: we're at school in the East End. Okay. It's so funny that you asked uh, Roger and I and my partner, Roger, we, we love to go bike riding. And the other day, we just threw the hitch on the back of our vehicle and took our bikes to Rothwell Heights, which was where I was You know, I kind of say that that was home. That Mm -hmm. was really where I felt the most at home. So we did a a fun bike ride and toured around the neighborhood and just to kind of I went down memory lane a little bit and thought about how I was at that time and who I was at that time and what kind of things I valued and the kind of person that I think I could have become had I stayed there mm. and continued on in on that trajectory. And yet we were moved at the age of, when I was 14, my brother was 16, my dad was offered an opportunity in, um, in Waterloo, Ontario, which was his hometown. We had family there, so we had been familiar with that mm-hmm. place as a family, but um, but we loved Ottawa. We did not want to move, and it was a really tough time. And my brother took it exceptionally hard. He was 16. I was 14. He just was in his first committed relationship. He had just started driving. Really tough on him. And I think when we moved to Waterloo, I I hid a lot of the pain that I was feeling. I felt guilty Um, raising how upset I was about moving because Mm -hmm. I could see how open my brother was about how upset he was about moving and so So you didn't want to be the second child to to add in on the mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of give my dad a break a little bit I knew he felt guilty I knew he did not want to move us we loved Ottawa it was the last thing that he wanted to do but it was it was the recession it was the late 80s he needed to feed his family he was 40 years old and I'm now 45 And I look back at that time, and I look back at the man that he was, and the decision that he had to make make in that moment, how could I not forgive him? He was 40, Mm. I feel like that's such a baby now, like I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, (laughs) he's a little 40 year old, you know? And I just think um, he needed to be given more of a break, and so I was the one that I, I really just hid my feelings, and unfortunately what happened is, Instead of telling my parents the truth, again, I never really felt bonded with my mother, never really felt like I could come to her and and share with her uh, what was going on with me. So I just tucked it all inside. And so I had been a kid that was always a sugar eater. I would do it in secret sometimes. I would um, sneak chocolate. My parents entertained a lot and got a lot of chocolate as hostess gifts. And so I would go downstairs to the freezer where my mother would keep it and I would sneak it. So I would sneak chocolate as a young kid. And then so fast forward to now we moved to Waterloo, and I'm now sort of untethered, really not sure what's going on in my life, and, and really not wanted, wanting to share with my parents or feeling like I could share with my parents how hard it was on me too. Um, I could see how hard it was on my brother, but I really, it was hard on me too. And so I started getting in with a crowd of smokers and pot smokers and drinkers because they were the ones that accepted me. And I felt like that was kind of where I could fit in easily.
0: I'm, I'm thinking you're in this new stage, in this new environment, uh, and longing, I'm sure, for what the, the kids were like between that 9 to 14, which I have a sense were much different, probably kind of free-spirited and active and healthier. Um, and so were you, imbe- like, were you upset that when you're in this crowd at that moment, like kind of, how did I end up here already so quickly?
1: Great question. I think at a you know in my fourteen year old mind, um, I don't know if that even factored in. I think what I really wanted was connection. I really believe that the you know the the opposite of addiction is connection, and I was seeking connection. I was looking for it anywhere, and I didn't feel like I fit in with. And nothing against Ottawa, but um, or Waterloo or any city or anywhere you go. But it's like when you've had friends since kindergarten, it's hard for a newcomer to be able to break in. And at 14 years of age, I just really felt like no one was sort of opening up their doors wide enough for me to be able to express myself and be be who I was. And I was really struggling with identity anyway, really not knowing who I was. And um, and so it was just easier for me to hang out with the you know with the bad crowd, with the kids that you know the parents, my parents Can't. didn't want me to hang out with. <laughs> but
0: like we're we're on, we're the same age, I think. Where there's like a year between us. Yeah. But I just remember like the smoking section was just like oh like <laughs> you don't go by the smoking section if you're not in the smoking section. Totally. And usually they were in a lot of dark black mm-hmm. colors. And, yeah. You know, like I I was in high school. Like I remember mm-hmm. you know those years there. So mm-hmm. did it just easily become
1: smoking to weed to alcohol? Like it was just an easy transition Definitely. from one to the next. Definitely. And really for me, it was as soon as I took that first taste of alcohol, that was that was it for me. I was 15. We, A group of us had decided to go out for Halloween, which was kind of ridiculous because we were 15. And we knew that it was too old for us to be trick-or-treating. But a bunch of the, the kids that I was around with were trick-or-treating, almost as a joke, just to get the candy. And the rest of us were following but drinking. And so I was concealing um, a mickey of vodka in my lumberjack style jacket with you know my jeans that was the kind of outfit mm-hmm. that I was wearing at the time so yes I definitely fit in with the smoker crowd and um and yeah we were walking around the neighborhood drinking and I just remember that feeling of that the taste of it was was disgusting I knew that it didn't taste good it was straight vodka um and so I knew it didn't taste good but it wasn't the feeling it was just that feeling of it going down and that warmth that I felt and then just sort of the softening of the edges and the feeling that I could say what I wanted to say, and I could maybe be who I wanted to be, and I could attract the attention of boys, and I could um, just feel the way that I wanted to feel, and so it felt really good for me. So right away, I I knew alcohol was my thing. So you're 15. 15. So underage, where
0: where are you sneaking the Mickey of Vodka from?
1: Great question. No clue. No idea. I mean, this is back in... The, I mean, it's
0: know. one thing to steal candy from the fridge, <laughs> yes. you know, and sneak that back into mm-hmm. your bedroom. It's another one to be able to find and, and sneak.
1: Yeah, the, I mean... We as much all.
0: alcohol as you would have needed to be able to, at that point, start drinking more readily.
1: So, at 15, I wasn't drinking regularly. I would drink, um, probably like a lot of kids did, that started experimenting with alcohol and drugs in their early teens. Um... You know, it would be it would be weekends or when I could. And, I mean, I think I imagine that we had friends that had fake IDs. I know I ended up getting mm-hmm. a fake ID, so I'm sure that we just got people to get the booze for us. Um, and then probably stealing it from our parents. I know I, I definitely stole alcohol from my parents. It was a little later on that I started doing that. But I know that, you know, I, my, my drinking ramped up, but it really didn't become daily drinking until I was probably 19 or 20.
0: What, hap- what happened then? Like, what was... You're out of of high school at that point. So
1: So in high school, sort of last year of high school, I'm definitely drinking three or four times a week. Um, I'm drinking every weekend for sure. There's no point to go to parties without getting drunk. There's no reason for for just having a couple of drinks. Um, To me, that was the whole thing. It was just always so crazy to me for people that could have like one or two beers. It was like, what is the point of that? And I still will look at people and think, oh my God, I can't believe there are people in the world that can have one glass of wine. (laughs) Like, and just love that one glass of wine and that's all they want to have and not be like, but wait a minute. I can See, I can do, I like the two glasses of wine, mm-hmm.
0: uh, but then after that I'm like, I, I weigh, I weigh the consequence, mm-hmm. right? I'm mm-hmm. like, do I, how do I feel like, you know, being sick tomorrow or having yeah. a massive headache or yeah. do I feel like, so, you know, it's just a different... It's a different mindset, you know, and... and it's a different mindset. But, but, a, but I, listen, yeah. I wasn't dealing with an addictive, you know, yeah. or, or having a substance that was taking control of me. So right. it's different. Because sometimes I look at that and be like, why didn't they just stop it too? Now they're just off, you know... Yeah. You know, on a, on a tangent. So, it's so the addicted mind is active. Yeah, that,
1: it's a different mind. Yeah, it's a different brain. Uh, we know that and that addiction changes our brain, and um, and I think that there are people that are that are you know um, hardwired for addiction. There mm-hmm. are other people that just you know don't seem to have you know to let it rattle their life. But at the same time, um, you know, Russell Brand just wrote a book recently, and he talks about the fact that we are all addicted to something, and we can mm-hmm. point to the person drinking alcohol. But what about the person eating junk food every day? What about the person, you know, like numbing and soothing yes. their emotions with food? And what about the person that's on social media twenty four seven, or the person playing video games, or shopping addiction? I mean, yeah. I have friends that literally—they're like—they take an Ambien, and in the morning there are packages from Amazon, and they're like, no clue, don't remember ordering <laughs> these things. I, I, so, that's
0: that's interesting to say. I I believe that.
1: Yeah, we, we all, all have, have our something. Stuff. We do. Mm-hmm. We do. And my thing was alcohol.
0: Okay, so yeah. we're, like, we're 19, 20 at this point, when, when there's a yeah. real issue, like that, that yeah. it's out of control.
1: Yeah, that's when I start to really know. Are you
0: talking to your mom? Like, do your parents notice this behavior? Have they, have they been calling you out on it? Are you being grounded? Like, what is happening during this time?
1: Great questions. So I think a big part of my desire to drink so young was because I couldn't wait to be able to drink with my parents. I couldn't wait to be able to connect with them on a deeper level and I felt like smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol were my inroads. That's how I could connect with them. In every house we had ever since we lived in the UK, my parents built a pub in our home and I'm not talking just a little room. We always lived in beautiful homes and so we're talking like you know, a huge room in the basement that looks like any awesome pub you've ever been to in the city of Ottawa or the United Kingdom. So dartboards and pool tables and fireplaces and tapestry and bars oh, yeah. and oh. jiggers and kegs. And it was a pretty amazing place. And we glorify drinking in our home. We um, celebrated with alcohol all the time. That was what we did. And Would you think that your parents, like if you look in the
0: situation, did your parents have an issue? like
1: my I, I I, you know that- so my father is uh he's passed away now he died six years ago and we sent my dad to treatment a year before he passed away so I wish he had had more time to be able to enjoy sobriety because he did not enjoy sobriety um it was not it wasn't something that um that I think he did for enough of the reasons that included himself he did it I think, so much to appease other people, Um, you know, his family. He would
0: have seen your your journey, yeah. Right? Like he would have seen, yeah.
1: was he proud of oh, you? Oh, so proud of me. So proud of me. And to the point where um, when I first got sober 16 years ago, when I was 29, I got sober. And so when I first got sober, I think it was a year and a half or two years later. Um, my parents actually, um, right when I got sober, my dad admitted to me that same day when I told them about my rock bottom. I don't know if you want to go into my rock bottom, but I had to share with them my rock bottom. And on that same day, my dad shared with me that he had been diagnosed with depression. So it was a really tough moment in our lives because I'm sitting there like, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to fucking save my life. And you are telling me something really deep and really personal and really hard and really shameful. And I am too. And I got to save my life. And I know you've got to save yours. And I can't save yours right now like I can't give any more than I am giving to myself I was so depleted at that time Mm -hmm. I was so um my addiction had had taken so much from me and I knew that if I was ever going to ever be able to come back or ever be able to create a life I knew that I could not focus on anybody else but me so, okay, let's... So going back okay, to what you let, were saying about my dad, um, yeah. was he supportive? And oh my gosh, like, so he, a few years after I got sober, he did try to get sober, but alone, but on his own. And it, what happened was because he had been... Um, medicated for depression but was still drinking he was essentially leveled out he wasn't really being medicated and then when he stopped drinking now he's taking the antidepressant but it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do my father was still extremely depressed and became even more depressed and they call it dry drunk I hate that term but it's the idea it's the notion that you um, that you just give up alcohol and you don't do anything else or bring anything else into your life to take its place and we don't quit habits we replace behaviors And so for me, what I did, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, as we chat, um, like I changed everything in my life. And my dad changed one thing. He took out the alcohol. And so it just didn't work for him. It just didn't stick. And so then many years later, he went to treatment.
0: And and this is where I'm hoping that your story sticks with people who don't have to experience that, the dried. The dry drunk or, uh, you know, not not finding how that behavior is going to have that shift yeah. or finding that meaning in, in other things. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we're leaving you at, like, drinking with your parents and having this really yeah. cool house and these bars in the house. Yeah. Um, but you're, like, nineteen, twenty at the time. Then you've got a 10-year stretch. Yeah. Of like what are what are you doing? Are you working? Are you yeah. are you pretending that you have like a
1: balanced life? Oh, you know my god, like yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I am so high functioning. <laughs> like I didn't I didn't get fired from jobs. I got promoted. Like I was being groomed to become partner of the fir- firm I was working with when I when I hit my rock bottom. And my rock bottom was a DUI. And I needed my car to work. And so I had to say to my boss at the time, who was, you know, we had such a fabulous relationship. I just had to say to him, I've decided to go back to business school, and so I'm quitting, and I'm giving two weeks notice, and I'm going to give all my files to my colleagues, so I'm just going to stay in the office, because I can't drive, and I'm just going to stay in the office, and I'm just going to take care of business here, and um, thank you so mm-hmm. much for all of these great years and all this great time and experience, and I love you to death, but I'm going to move on. And he was devastated. He was like, what are you talking about? Okay.
0: You get a D. So you're drinking, you're, you're drinking and driving.
1: I'm drinking and driving daily. And it is I, I know, are sim- we talking like, yeah. you know,
0: leaving the pub at, at uh, 11 o'clock at night or are we talking it could be
1: during the day and... No. So I was like, never a daily drinker. Yeah. I was definitely high functioning. So my, my um, rules around drinking were, were many. Um, you know, I didn't drink until five o'clock unless it was the weekend, unless there was a reason, unless it was a party, unless I stayed overnight, then we could start in the morning, you know, on the weekend. You had, you had rules. I had lots of rules. But definitely, um not a day drinker. Okay. definitely somebody who hid hid my addiction. yeah. um, to the point where even some of my closest friends were like, "You, like, what, really? And they're, you know, they were saying things like, but well, we all drink together. We all drink the same. So why did you feel that your drinking wasn't the same as? Yeah. And and, and definitely, I guess it was a feeling, but it was just a knowing. It was a knowing that honestly, from when I was 15 years old Mm -hmm. and drank that first time, there was a a deep knowing. There were times where I'd be hungover and it would be a weekend and I'd be on the couch sort of surfing the channels and just, I would say out loud, you know, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Who are you? What is going on with you? Who do you want to be? And I wouldn't wait for the answers to come. I couldn't stay still long enough to wait for the answers to come. So I would shove those questions away, hop in the shower, get myself to a friend's house with a case of beer, and away we'd go again. And start all over. And again. start all over. It was just a way to numb those feelings and that pain.
0: You're high functioning, you're working, and then you get pulled over. So you get pulled over, you get the DUI, the, yep. DUI. The D-U-I, yep. and, but you, then your car's gone. The car's gone. So you, you, you don't face it. Because you don't go to your boss, who you say is a very close you've worked with for eighteen years, and say, "I have a problem. Um, this is what's occurred, and I need to go deal with it. my alcoholism." No, I am you a- you decided to pretend that you're going to business school, yes. or okay, so yes. you're lying. Yes. So now you're now you're in a deeper
1: lie. I am in such shame about the label of alcoholic. As much as I know I need to wear it, I hate it so much. And I feel such a stigma towards it. And I still do. Um, and so I, at that time, just the last thing I want to do is admit to anybody that I am an alcoholic. To my, Even to some of my closest friends. Like I hid it from them. I would just say I was into health and fitness. I had decided that I had seen the light. And instead of drinking and partying all the time, now I want to start eating well. I want to start working out. I'm going to start taking care of my health. And this is the new person I'm going to become. And people were just like... Okay, that's weird but all right and that's what I did I lied my way to sobriety but it re- it really worked for me
0: so yeah so instead of going out and, and having the drink or having the beer just be like no I've, I'm gonna do an early morning workout I'm on a cleanse I'm on a cle- yes. okay yes yes,
1: <laughs> yes. hey it, it, it got you it, it, it started the process totally started the process and I think about it now a lot um sometimes I would it would almost feel like a like a shortcoming like I faked my way into sobriety And then I kind of look at, and now that I I have my own podcast where I, I feature people in recovery and all the different stories that I'm hearing, that, you know, I didn't fake my way into sobriety. It was just that that was the way I did it. And everyone does it differently. Some people choose to go to AA meetings. I went to a few. They didn't resonate with me. I didn't feel like sitting in a church basement talking about the shitty times. I really didn't want that at that time. I really wanted to learn how it was that I could actually live a good, decent, healthy life without alcohol. And remember, I'm 29. I'm now 45. This was before Facebook, before blogs, before really a lot of people were talking about addiction. Mm -hmm. I had no resources. I had nowhere to go. I felt so isolated and so alone that the shame mired me. Like it, it held me so stuck for so long that it wasn't until 2015 when I launched my blog, Sarah Talks Food, Um, because I was always talking about food and I was always excited about food ever since I graduated business school and then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And so I was excited about that, but I knew that in the first post that I ever published, that I would have to tell people the truth, that I would have to tell them that I didn't just come into health and fitness just willy-nilly, like, oh yeah, I just, I've just i been healthy in my whole life, it's just been my thing. It was you nuts. weren't. I like, mean, I was. I can't say that I wasn't. Like, I was a gymnast yeah, yeah. as a kid, I was super active, I was extremely lean, my mother cooked us very healthy, wholesome meals every single day. My mother was a homemaker. So we ate well every day and I moved my body every day and I was a very active kid. So I definitely wasn't somebody who was a complete couch potato, ter- yeah. transformed. But definitely from the age of, Um, I'm going to say 18 to 29, I might've hit the gym a handful of times. Like it was just not something that I uh, spent my time doing. I spent my time partying and socializing with people. So
0: you start on this, your boss says, you're going on this two weeks, I'm done in two weeks. I'm going to, you know, uh, so you, you found, the health and the fitness and you started to work out and you started to eat better. But what what was the transition like? Because this then launch in, launches into really where you are today and how you're helping people today. Because then from the alcohol, it became a look at what you were consuming in other ways and that became the sugar.
1: Definitely. So what happened is, so I, I quit my job and I'm pretty devastated, but at the same time, I've, I've carved out this new plan, and that's really the way that I operate. Like, is, okay,
0: are, like, are you scared financially? I mean, you've left a job, like, you... Yeah, like, so you I left have... my
1: job and, you know, freaked out, had to move from my apartment because um, I'm living completely across the city from the college that I've now decided to enroll in, and my boyfriend at the time, who I had pretty much just broken up with, thinking that we just didn't have enough of a connection um, to make it work... I basically say to him, because he's my only, you know, real, um, friend at this time that really Does kind of... Does he know
0: what you're doing? He
1: definitely okay. knows what I'm doing because there was, uh, I was trying to hide it from him for sure, I I think. Um, but there was a night that I was cooking dinner and I brought a six pack of beer over, which to me is nothing. That was nothing to me to drink six Coronas. And at that time it was the end of, it was towards the end of my drinking and I was starting to um, to moderate in a way that wasn't like like other people might moderate. But for me it was, um, if I drank beer versus wine, I could kind of gauge how I was going to feel better. As opposed to if I had a bottle or two of wine, I never knew sort of where I'd end up. So wine was definitely something that took me down a, um, a trickier path. Beer, I could kind of control a little bit better. And so I was cooking dinner one night and, um, and this guy says to me, are you going to do this every night? And I knew what he was saying, but I said, cook you dinner. And he said, drink this much every night. And I said, this is not much. As it's six beers, everybody drinks. And he looked at me and he said, no, not everybody drinks, and not everybody drinks like this. So he had brought it up several times. There were a few times, and that was the real reason why I didn't want him in my life anymore. It was like, see you later. And it was it was like that with so many other relationships that I'd had. The first time that somebody questioned me about my drinking, it was the last time we went out together. You know, it was just, see you later. I am not interested in being criticized about the way that I drink. This is the way I need to drink. This is the way I like to drink, and I'm not changing it. So you had been... like you had there were people that had called you out yeah even my own parents even though um you know my father was certainly a high functioning alcoholic and um you know very well respected in his career uh, just like so many people Mm -hmm. are and I really wanted to say that loud and proud oh my gosh if you are listening right now honestly if you are struggling with alcohol you are not alone I felt so alone for so long and I know my dad did too to the point that when we did send him to treatment afterwards he came out and he was like so yeah. who are the celebrities that are, that are sober like he wanted to not feel like such a loser for not being able to drink and I just find now that it's so, it's so fucking empowering to not have to take a drug. Annie Grace is an author that I respect and she, she writes in her book um, This Naked Mind, alcohol is the only drug that we have to justify not taking. Would you ever go to a party and someone says, come on, Leanne, just do a line, one line. Come on, just one needle, just one ball of heroin. Like, this never happens. But at every party I go to, unless I arrive with something in my hand, because once I've got something in my cup, typically no one cares about what I'm drinking. But if I don't have something in my hand, it is a constant question. Aren't you? are you just just going to have one? Oh, do you have a problem? It's It's unbelievable. So... Anyway, I think I went off topic there. No, you didn't because I think – I don't think <laughs> you
0: did because I think a lot of people – I'm, I'm looking at that going, okay, you walk into a, a party or you walk into a dinner. like It's like, what can I get you to drink? Yep. What would you like to drink? Yeah, you, you, You're right. So you don't even see it when you're out of the situation yep. how constantly it's actually
1: in your face. We have normalized yeah. alcohol drinking culture to the point where – we all think it's glamorous. We all think it's sophisticated. We all think it's, it's fine. It's so innocuous. And to me, alcohol is the most insidious drug. It is the one that I look at in so many relationships that break down. It is the alcohol that is at the stem of the issues. It is people using alcohol to numb and soothe their emotions instead of facing their issues. We use it to soothe and we use it to avoid and we use it to push down and it doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work. It works until it doesn't work, right?
0: Until you, until you get a, you know, pulled over by the cops because you're yeah. driving drunk. And that was my second.
1: Yeah. That was my second arrest, by the way. That meant that I lost my license for three years rather than just one, because four and a half years prior, I had been charged with care and control by sitting in my vehicle drunk. I had been driving, but they didn't catch me driving. And I'm sitting here talking about drinking and driving like it was no big deal. I cannot believe that I can even say these words to you. There were years over a decade where I could not speak the words, I drank and drove. I felt such incredible shame. I hated myself to the point that I wanted to kill myself. I could not believe that I could ever go on after after letting people know this. How could I ever, ever share this truth with anybody? How could I ever let anybody know that this is what I've done? It was, it was traumatizing. It was shame-ridden. It was the hardest thing I've ever done to not just to go through the entire ordeal of what my life had to look like. I went I had to get a pardon that cost thousands of dollars and time and effort and energy and and in humiliation. I had to go through courses teaching me about alcohol and driving. Like it was just the stuff that I've had to go through to get to where I am today. I mean, it's, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. It's, it really well, is true.
0: And, and just how strong you are is is amazing and how much you've been able to grow and prosper and um, educate. I think the education of the alcoholism is, is one. But I want to get in because I think this is where people are really going to in, in just life in general. You started to eat. Yes. You started to give up, you know, Move the alcohol aside. Yeah, started to kind of consume food.
1: So what happened is I quit drinking, and um, just like I talked about earlier, when I was a kid, I would sneak chocolate. When I started, when I discovered alcohol, it was like, oh, well, this does that same thing that I got from from chocolate or candy. And um, and it made me feel better. And then as, when I was a drinker, I never cared about dessert. I never, I, I used to feel sorry for people that I'd watch them going back to the buffet table for like another round of dessert. And I was just like, oh, the poor things. Let me pour myself another glass of Merlot. Yeah like, I'm drinking my sugar, they're eating their sugar, there is no difference between us. I should have had no judgment on it. And it's really helped me to release a lot of judgment in my life. Um, Truly having addiction can do that. And so when I got sober, I would sit at home. So I'm now so I've now moved across the city in with this guy, he's allowed me to live with him because he lives a stone's throw from the college and I can't drive. So I need to be able to walk or bus, which believe me after, you know, driving for however long, it was devastating taking a bus again and all of that like just the shame is just it's so thick like it's hard to even describe it now uh, now that I'm on the mm. other side of it but um so I started eating sugar I would sit at home at night after going to class and I would get a tub of Ben and Jerry's and a spoon and I would sit in front of Survivor it was when Survivor was oh brand gosh, new yes. it was the first episode with Boohoo Sue and whatever his name was, the naked guy. Was the naked guy? I was gonna say there was yeah, a naked Richard, guy in there. Yeah, Richard. Richard Hatch. <laughs> and I would watch Survivor with my tub of Ben and Jerry's and my spoon, and I would finish the entire thing. And I just didn't give a shit. I was like, I'm not drinking. I'm not doing the thing I want to be doing. I'm going to do this thing because you can't take everything from me i was also still smoking at the time my first drug was was cigarettes i started smoking cigarettes the first time i was 12 and then i really started smoking probably when i was 15 or 16 years old so um so yeah i was still smoking and now i'm i'm eating sugar every single night and yet i'm telling everybody that i'm into health and fitness and i'm super into it and this is why i've quit drinking and my whole life has changed And so what I knew was that I couldn't keep up this guise or this facade without kind of figuring out, okay, well, why don't you try to figure out how you can stop eating so much sugar? Why don't you try to actually get to the root of this problem? And it was kind of subconscious. It wasn't even like I I realized what I was doing at the time. It's only now in retrospect that I can look back and say, oh, I was looking at the pain. I was bringing it out into the light and I was staring it down. And I was like, okay, let's work on this. But that's exactly what I did. So I figured I would read all about nutrition and I would learn how to quell sugar cravings and I would work on my fitness and and everything else that was in my sleep and all of the different, you know, the tenets of health Mm -hmm. that that would help me to stop having such strong sugar addiction. And so that kind of worked and I continued to go through my education and graduate at the top of my class because I knew I had to. Um, I had never been a good student and yet for me it was like... Um, quitting my job and changing my whole life and moving across the city, it was like, if I didn't make this education thing work, the whole puzzle seemed to fall apart for me. So I graduated at the top of my class, and I spoke to 2,000 students at the end of my um, education career. And um, I could have, you know, I, I couldn't believe how far I had come, and yet I was still holding on to this big, dark, deep secret that I had never told even a single one of my colleagues at school. And I was close with the professors. I was close with my, my I was a peer tutor, and uh, everyone's always going to the pub and going out for drinks. And I'm still nope. I'm just super healthy. I'm going to hit the gym, and so I had never. Ever told anybody until I then moved to Ottawa by myself um, in 2000. And, oh my gosh, whatever year it was, 2006, the end of 2006. And I'm still sober, but I'm really struggling because I'm now in a new city. And I relapsed. I relapsed three weeks after moving to Ottawa because I'm now alone. I'm not with that guy anymore that's at home with me and making sure that I, you know, that I'm not drinking and I'm doing well and I feel like I'm doing really well. And yet again, when I kind of, hindsight's 2020, when I look back, I, I know that when I was planning that move to Ottawa that I was setting myself up for a relapse and I wanted to. And I'm actually really grateful that I had the experience of a re- relapse because I, 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 I had one glass of wine. I pretended like it was okay to just have one glass of wine, and I went home. And a few nights later, I had two glasses, and I pretended like I was okay just having two glasses, pretending like the voices in my mind mm-hmm. saying "You want more, more, more" were not there. And um, a few nights like that went by, and then one night I got really drunk. And it was the next morning was New Year's, and I could barely bring myself to look myself in the eyes in my mirror in the bathroom. And I was just like, after all that you've been through. After all the work you've put in, you're going to throw it all away? No way. And so that was it. That was the last time that I drank. It's a new year. Yeah, so it was a new year. 2007.
0: I didn't realize that you'd had a relapse. Yeah. Not Nothing since. No. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that you would have had, you know. The
1: relapse? Yeah, but the, but the relapse a part was of is great.
0: Yeah, I I see that, because Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine having gone through so many of those changes that you did, like, to throw it away, Mm -hmm. you know, it could have been thrown Mm -hmm. away so easily.
1: And you can see how fast it it went Right,
0: like the one drink to the two, and and you see that with with so many things in in people's lives. We were here in Ottawa, I mean, I know that you don't start writing, and so how did the the work that you did and all of this research that you did, um, kind of all start to come together into creating what it is that you're doing now because the sugar was, was the massive start of, of kicking the sugar addiction. Yeah. Um. This podcast is brought to you by extension marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me. A genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at
1: extensionmarketing.com. So, 2015, I decide uh, my partner Roger. He had been encouraging me to get on social media and to get on um, and to start a blog and to start writing about my experiences. And I was just so afraid. I was so scared to tell people who I really was. I was so afraid to use the word alcoholic. I was so I was so fearful that um, that okay, I wouldn't be accepted. This is 2015,
0: like uh, right around there. Mm-hmm. But you're yeah. you're talking 2006 is when this.
1: So when There's I mood, relapsed, right? yeah. So I relapsed, I still kept it all to myself. I was working for marketing firms. I worked for Century 21 Realty. Like I was I was just working in jobs telling like one person over here sort of secretly telling one person over there. And then I met my partner, Roger, at a networking event. And he was running health studios here in Ottawa. And I sort of was listening to him talk to some people. He had a beer in his hand, so I wasn't attracted to him right away. But I was um, but I was listening to him, and I was like, oh, that sounds like a cool business. So we kind of struck up a conversation. And I invited him to the marketing firm I was working for and just to see if we could have a meeting and talk about um, how we might be able to help his business, but also secretly, because I was attracted to him and thought <laughs> that there might be something there. And um, and so anyway, there was nothing with marketing there, but definitely a relationship blossomed. And he invited me to start working for the company that he his family owned. So I did, and I started working in the, the health and fitness industry. We were um, training people on whole body vibration machines and selling those machines. So we had three studios in Ottawa. And so what I would do is, even though people would sometimes say to me, you know, what do you know about food addiction? Like, you're not overweight. Like, you don't get it. And I would say to them, I might not understand necessarily what you're going through you know with people that are 50 because you were dealing, 100, dealing with
0: people that were were, were
1: obese quite overweight and o- o- okay. yeah and so I would say I may not be able to deal with exactly what you think but I struggle with addiction and so it would be these 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 tiny little guided angelic moments where I would finally be able to t- to tell the truth and I would just see people the way that they would respond to me and it was like oh my gosh, you know, she might not get exactly what I'm going through, but she gets it. Mm-hmm. And so it was just an awesome experience. So I was able to connect sort of one by one by one with people throughout those years. And that's when, you know, Roger just kept encouraging me. Like, you've got you to gotta start a blog. you got to share your recipes. You've got to tell people how you're healthy. And Okay, but how were you doing that? Like, how did you get rid
0: of the sugar? How did you kind of work with these people who were, you know, 100, 200 pounds overweight? Like, yeah. how, how did you do it? How... What was, what was your trick?
1: So do you mean, so, so when I first got, so when I very first got sober, I started figuring how can I stop eating the Ben and Jerry's every night? And so I learned that eating protein first thing in the morning was going to be my best friend. So when we eat protein first thing in the morning when we wake up, instead of the cereal or the bagel or the muffin, we then can quell sugar cravings that would typically come later in the day. So it's a really great hack for anybody that's struggling with sugar addiction. Start your day with protein. Kind of flip it around. Sort of have dinner for breakfast. Mm -hmm. You can have carbs. Like I'm not saying to that uh, right there is that's your that's your bacon and eggs. That's your bacon and eggs.
0: Right. So I'm saying like that bacon and egg breakfast is 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 the way to go.
1: That's a better breakfast Mm -hmm. than the than the bagel or the muffin or the bowl of cereal with. uh, with milk on it, yeah.
0: Right, but then you can go through that and break each of those down and see how much actual sugar content is in there. And definitely. did you do that? Did you actually look into how much?
1: I don't know, I mean I have yeah. since yeah. so I certainly, you know, when you look at a container of yogurt, I mean it's just ridiculous yeah. what, it, what? It, first of all I'm, I need to write a post and I've, I've been meaning to write it for a long time about what the heck to do in the yogurt aisle. I mean no one seems to know what's happening in the yogurt aisle because there's 8 million yogurts but yeah like fruit on the bottom yogurt yeah. is like 34 grams of sugar. It's crazy it's just pure sugar. So definitely learn that I needed to get rid of as many sources of sugar as possible, especially refined sugar. So the junk food sugar, the stuff that's in, so high fructose corn syrup, for example, in in pop, I wasn't a big pop drinker anyway, but for me, it was like, okay, I'm never touching that stuff again. Like it just goes straight to the liver. It creates non-alcoholic fatty liver disease in kids as young as 10 years old. So we have got to get a handle on this sugar thing it is in everything it's insidious I think it's the most insidious drug I said alcohol was yeah. I I'm gonna, I'm gonna remand that and say that it's sugar and um, and then alcohol because um, because yeah I mean it's just found everywhere and it's marketed to kids it's marketed to kids in a way that um, I talk about this in the talks that I give that uh, so when you go to an advertising agency with a pitch for a food product, they will talk about what is the nag factor that they can put on this product. What is the nag factor, meaning how hard will a kid tug on his mother or father's pant leg to buy that product because of the really good job they've done in the marketing campaign. Like kids don't understand the difference between a commercial and a TV show until they're about eight years old. So when we're marketing to them on TV, they're believing it as truth, as fact. They need this sugary Fruit Loop cereal. They have to have these Lucky Charms or whatever. And, And so we just really have to, you know, we have to become more vigilant i think we really have to understand what the heck is going on in our food supply i think we've outsourced it to a point where we don't even know what we're eating anymore and then it's hard because people are working they're busy we've got all these crazy things going going on in our lives not everybody has the time to figure all of this stuff out so for me what i really try to do with people is just to keep it really simple just go right back to basics eat real food
0: Okay, so let's take that. Let's go into creating the kick the twenty eight day yeah. sugar challenge. Okay, <laughs> so I mean, you have kicked a habit. Yeah. how How do you break it down in this book um, that allows people to be able to kind of get their mindset around it? Because yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it takes time for your body not yeah. to crave it. It's just the same thing as kind of you know the alcohol, right? Your body has to go yeah. through almost like a withdrawal.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. There is definitely a withdrawal when it comes to kicking sugar. I believe that just like with alcohol, moderation. It doesn't work very well, especially if you're really trying to make a change. I think when it comes to sugar, I know there are two schools of thought. One is moderating, just being more aware and like not eating as much. And that's really, really powerful and positive information for sure. But for me, and I think for most people, it is easier... Even if those first few days are really hard, where we're where we're really withdrawing, but um, or going through withdrawal, but those if we can get through those first few days of not eating refined sugar, and again, I'm not even telling people to not eat fruit. Like we're still eating fruit, we're still enjoying that stuff. Not on the 28 Day Kick the Sugar Challenge, we do take out fruit for 14 days, but um, in general, I think that if we can cut it out entirely. In a matter of three days, you really don't crave it nearly as much. And then when you have sugar, you notice just how Mm -hmm. sweet it is. Right.
0: Now... what are you eliminating then, those first three days? When people are like, okay, they yeah. si- like they sign that dotted line to themselves. Yeah. What in those first couple, three, four days are they really yeah. giving up?
1: So on the 28-day kick the sugar challenge, we literally give up anything that is going to create a sugar response in the body. So an insulin response. So we are also getting, yes, we're getting rid of high fructose corn syrup. We're getting rid of any of the 56 names that sugar goes by. Um, 56. There, there are probably 61 or more now. Um, it's amazing how many names there are for sugar. So we have to be detectives in our own lives for sure. But the way that you don't have to worry so much about being a detective is if you eat real whole food that doesn't have ingredients labels. So pretty much we are cooking all of our meals. We are preparing all of our meals. We are, um, we're definitely not, you know, eating out a lot. And if we are, we're being pretty, we're being pretty responsible about what we're eating. We're eating lots of um cruciferous vegetables lots of non starchy vegetables so we're not having sweet potatoes we're not having potatoes we're not having rice pasta pizza we're not having those kinds of foods we're having mostly lean protein we're having lots of vegetables we're eating lots of salads we are after 14 days reintroducing berries and then after 21 days we're reintroducing quinoa which i love i love quinoa because it can substitute for rice or pasta mm-hmm. but it's got such a healthy dose of protein
0: I think, you know what, and I know you're friends with Natasha. um, Villeneuve. Villeneuve, who was on with that Natural Food Pantry. She's a holistic nutritionist. But I think uh, one of the things um, and one of the details is when you bite into an apple, it should taste sweet. Yes. Right? If you don't have all the sugar, like all of that in your system, when you bite into something that is Mm. naturally sweet yeah you will taste it and then you know right but it's a great feeling Mm -hmm. because you know that you're getting it naturally rather than from from anything else
1: and that's it like I think that's really the message it's just simply you know the 28-day kick the sugar challenge people are like oh my god so like so Sarah do you ever eat sugar yes I eat sugar
0: But I think, what are people most surprised about? Because for me, it's like the sauces. It's the ketchups. It's the mayo. It's the salad dressing. And I don't think people understand how they're getting caught in, oh, well, I I had my salad and I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. what was the salad dressing, right? They don't realize just where they're getting tricked. Yes. If if that's a fair word to say. It's totally a fair
1: word to say. You buy a packaged salad and then... (laughs) You look at the dressing. Did you see you kill yourself recently? There was a package, a package where there was an orange peeled inside, and someone posted it. And they were basically like, "If only nature could figure out how to do this." Like even along with our packaging, we're getting we're getting tricked everywhere. If we really think about what junk food looks like, we think about the packages that are bright and beautiful and flashy. When you think about the cereal aisle, I mean, it's like glow in the dark. And yet, when you open that box or that bag, it's gray food, it's brown food, it's beige food. But real food, whole food, is red and yellow and orange and purple and green and fabulous and all the colors of the rainbow and everything in between. And so I just think that really it's it's really simple advice, but it's just let's get away from as much sugar as we possibly can Eat as much natural sugar as you want, really. I mean, yes, there can be limits there too if you're looking for weight loss and the rest of it, but really, it's a matter of just keeping it simple. Just eat food that doesn't have labels on it. Cook as many meals as you can.
0: What um, what have you found other the people, or who are the people that are coming to you is or that are picking up the book? Is it weight loss? Is it addictive behavior? Is it um, just to feel better? Uh, is it because they've got athletic performance that they're looking to you know to excel at? like what, yeah. What's your what's the typical reader?
1: Yeah, so I'd say all of those people, and yet the typical reader is the woman between thirty five and fifty who is either struggling with alcohol or other addiction, as well as sugar addiction, or it's mostly just sugar addiction and, and food issues.
0: But that could be someone who, similar to you, is coming home at the end of the day and taking the tub of ice cream and sitting on on the couch or having that yep. extra piece of cake, or yep. uh, and that's most of it is to soothe. So. In or, your drink, book, or, or drinking yeah, those yeah. four
1: drinks and not realizing how much sugar is in alcohol right. as well.
0: Do you go through the mental side of it? I mean, when you're doing a 28 day kick the sugar challenge, yeah. you know there's there's more components to it than just okay, we're not gonna have the salad yeah. dressing or the ketchup yep. today, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna delve deeper into what psychologically mm-hmm. is happening.
1: Definitely. So lots of homework exercises, lots of meditations, lots of different things throughout the book. So the way it's set up is that um, it starts out just every day. And I and I, I wasn't somebody who did 12-step, uh, um, but I, I believe in the 12 steps. I think they're an amazing framework. Um, I'm just not somebody who, who goes to AA meetings, but I liked their philosophy of one day at a time. And so I use that in the book. And so it's day one, we get started. And here's where our mindset is. This is what we're going to do today. And this is what we're going to think about today. And you're stronger than you know. And you can do this. And then day two, we build on that. And there might be some homework there. Um, There are some mantras that we go through, some affirmations and some different writing exercises. And I think that really when people can get a little bit of traction in their life, a little bit of momentum in their lives, in anything that we do in our lives, if we can just get a little bit of momentum, that's where the magic happens. That's when we can really start to see things evolve and change. But we need to take those first few It is few so days. hard to get those first few it steps. It's, it's almost is. like,
0: you know, you're pulling like on, on like a, a truck, right? Totally. Like it takes forever to get those first tugs. Yes. But then once it starts to move, yes. it's just like, it just come, comes mm-hmm. at you. Mm-hmm. I think, especially what I've seen with families is that it doesn't really work when it's just one person. It's tough. Making the ch- right? If you just have mom, you know, you were saying your typical reader, like, 35 to 50. Yep. But that mom's got to be doing it. But then the partner yeah. needs to be on board. And then the children and need not to always, be nodding. And And I find tough. that that's a very – that doesn't get things moving. It almost needs to be, like, um, the, uh, the support system has to be there from everybody.
1: Well, and that's a great point because I think it makes things so much easier when everybody's on board. Mm -hmm. I think it makes things more enjoyable. It makes it more doable. And yet we know that that is not always the case. I work with a lot of clients where their partners, their families are not on board with this. And uh, with with, uh, with a healthier lifestyle, mm-hmm. with eating better. So they are literally, I, I will get text messages where there is a photograph of them on the couch next to a spouse who's eating, you know, Cool Ranch Doritos. And they're sitting there with their handful of almonds saying, how is this fair and how do I do this? And those are conversations that people have to have within their relationships. That's really hard stuff. I am extremely fortunate that I was single when I got you know when I got sober I wasn't single but when I moved to Ottawa I was single and I made it a priority that I was going to meet somebody that I was going to make sure that whoever it was that I met was going to be sober. And that they were gonna be somebody who focused and cared about a healthy lifestyle. Because for me, that's so part of who that's my identity. That's really who I've become. And it's not something that I'm able to let go of. So I can only imagine how challenging it is to be in a relationship with someone where you've built up these habits. Maybe you've drank together. And you've probably for done years. it together. You've done it yeah. together, you've eaten pizza, mm-hmm. you've ordered, you know, Chinese takeout, you know, every weekend for 20 years. Um, you know, you eat, you know, your kids eat white bread sandwiches and, and cookies and bags of chips as their lunch every day. Like, how do you, you know, turn this puzzle around? And I think that really the only thing, the only advice that I could ever tell anybody is that just like they say on the airplanes, like we have got to don our own oxygen mask first. And the only, the only thing we can do is, is what we need to do for ourselves so, if our family is not going to be on board, that's going to be something that um, is going to have to be worked on, maybe through therapy or, you know, through other things. But I I don't think that it's a reason for someone to decide not to pursue it. I think that if we truly can look at these amazing bodies that we own, that we rent for such a short period of time as the most precious gifts that will ever be given and treat them with the dignity and the respect that they deserve. And for me, as someone who treated my body like a trash can, I let thoughts, people, people food, substances into my body that were never, that should never have been there. And yet it's only served to strengthen me. And I think that that's the thing, right? Like wherever we're weak, we can strengthen and, uh, and we grow stronger from those weak places. So could you hard. have told
0: yourself, uh, that 29 year old self, um, when you call yourself the rock bottom that you, that you'd see yourself in this position 15 years later yeah. feeling, oh looking the way you do and, and spreading the messages that you are like, it, does it seem like different people it's, or does it's, it, do you still yeah. feel that it was you just a different version? It's so
1: hard to explain. And, and it's funny because I, I'm, I'm, I'm so immersed in the recovery community and we talk a lot about feeling special, but also feeling like nothing. And I think that that was how I felt for so many years of my life. I always kind of felt special but I, what it wasn't validated for a long, for most of my life, and so I, it was like I shouldn't feel special because I'm, because that b- would be feeling um, egocentric, um, and it shouldn't all be about me. And so I think that I struggled with a lot of that of feeling special, but also feeling like a loser, and um, and I grappled with that. So can I look back and and see what I saw? You know, can I, could I see myself now? I mean, I don't even know it's hard to imagine. I'm a completely different person. I mean, the, the heart of who I am is always there, but, um, and you know, and all of that, but, and, and so much of my, my upbringing, you know, I love my parents and they did such a great job. And, and um, but there were also things that weren't, mm. that weren't done. So I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. I do think though that um, at the end of the day, I think that struggle is truly what makes us such better people. It really helps. It really does. There's a
0: there's the journey when you have reached a certain point yeah. you know and you reach the, the the climb the top of the yeah. climb like there's it's a, it, the feeling is just over overwhelming mm-hmm. I, I think the fact that you've been able to share it is pretty big so I you have the book yep then you have your Sarah Talks food yes so what's the, like what's the difference between and then you also have the sobriety dot uh, <laughs> yeah. you, like you have there's, you an, gonna... there's a couple of things that are going on so yeah. where are people going for the information that they're looking for if it's for the for the alcoholism if it's for the addiction or it's for the, sh- the sugar because you mentioned that you went all 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 in but there are people that might be going I'm not quite in the all in but yeah. what are like right now like what would be the top five things that you would say for the person that's not quite all in but let's see like give me five things that I can change today
1: love it so that's a great point, too. And, and often a lot of people who have bought my book have said, you know, I just have it on my nightside table because I'm so afraid to open it because when I do, I know I have to yeah. up <laughs> sure. I'm like, no, you don't. You can just read it. There yeah. are a ton of recipes in there. So enjoy it for that. There, there's a meal plan, um, exercise workouts. There's all sorts of really mm-hmm. great stuff in that book. So, But for people who didn't want to start there, I created a course, a six-week online course called the Six Week Sugar Freedom e-course. And it's not expensive and it takes you through six weeks of video lessons from me and then home assignments and it's not getting rid of sugar it's you decide where you want to go with your health it's what you feel comfortable where you feel comfortable starting so some people say they wish that I had done the course first and then written the book because they would have yeah. done it in that order so you can do it that way you can do the course and then maybe you want to check out the book the blog Sarah talks food is where every week every Tuesday I post something that's either about my life or something that I found interesting or um, often about food mm-hmm. so today was all about telling people to not eat salads anymore because of the point that you made where it's like you don't necessarily know what's in the salad when you go out to a restaurant and sometimes the calories are crazy and I'm not someone who counts calories but sometimes a Caesar salad you know people will order the Caesar thinking they're doing the right thing and I just want to cry because I want to say like really the chicken sandwich just ditch the bun order it with a salad that would have been a way better choice for you. So my top five tips definitely eating protein in the morning Mm -hmm. and using protein at every meal including snacks and I like to um, keep my blood sugar pretty stable so I'm not somebody who only does breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Some people feel better doing that. And I think that that's where using a food journal, that's my other, another tip that I want to give is really powerful and no one does it. And I ask everybody to send me their food journal and they'll sort of whip it off the night before. And I know it because no one wants to stay accountable. And it's easier to just eat the few M&Ms or the muffin and then just not write it down. But man, when you've got to write it down, you might make different choices. So using a food journal, if weight loss is a goal for anybody listening, um, the research shows that if you track what you're eating, you'll lose three times more weight than if you don't track. So start tracking what you're eating and drinking. So definitely making sure that you're um, that you're tracking. So then eight glasses of water a day. And I know that people talk about um, calculating the measurement Um, Take your weight, divide that number in half. That's how many ounces of water you should go for in a day. Sometimes that's a little daunting for people, so I just recommend, you know, start with, if you're not a water drinker, eight glasses of water. Are you not a water drinker? Ever. Never? Ever. Ever? Mm Mm-mm. How? (laughs) How do you look so incredible? Your I, skin is glowing. I, you're spectacular. <laughs> Your body's ridiculous. Anyway, I don't know. How I, I do think it.
0: sometimes there's some scientific. I, I but I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. So that's it. Too, I, yeah. I, I I think, but I have always been like that. Like I would get through a four hour training session and never have a sip of water. Wow. I get through a workout. I'm never thirsty. Wow. It's a weird so, thing. But I've I've spoken to doctors. And, like I, I think that I fall yeah. into some weird category because yeah. I'm I, I really I have to really force. Which is to be honest with you, I and mean, we're talking about drinking. Like I can't. drink. Drink. Mm-hmm. I have to be. I have to make myself thirsty. Like I have to. Like before you drink a glass like, of wine. Like yes. So I can't just sit there with a glass of wine. I need to have something salty or something with me so that I can drink. Which is why I think also like I'm much more of like a chips and dip and a salty craver yeah. than I am a sugar craver. Just mm-hmm. you know, we all we all have our crazy little you know, habits. But but it's funny for me. But I do th- I do see the scientific merit for 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 the wine. I'm not saying don't. I just for me I've i have some weird.
1: That's a weird thing. I know it's really it's But let's weird. not forget that yeah. you can look great and feel great, yeah. and yet you are dehydrated. So yeah, so, so why I don't have half
0: more than the two glasses of wine is because I have a massive headache and my body reacts immediately. And I know it's because I don't have the, you know that mm-hmm. I'm dehyd- that I must be dehydrated because oh I, I don't so it, I was oh not a good drinker in college and I was always the one that got sick and always the one yeah. that took me 2 days to recover <laughs> because my body just wasn't prepared to, to to have the intake of it but we're getting off we're getting off track here okay so we had the protein at breakfast yeah. we had the the food journaling i think that's crazy especially that statistics 3 times the yeah
1: three times the weight loss. Wow, that mm-hmm. that's pretty if big. If you track your food, you you we can like, understand that, right? When you think about it. If you don't write it yeah. down, it's gone. Well, and it's you especially
0: don't think with about the Okay, well, I just had someone had a bag of M&Ms and I took like four or five yes. or, you know, there was a birthday at the, somebody's birthday at work and there was cupcakes going around. Uh, but what about like the the white sugar? Like there's there's different levels right now. There's but if I just levels, go with the like the white bread or the white like what for you is the like I call it sometimes it's like the white devil which for you yeah. is the worst of the combinations.
1: So just any and I and and I don't mean to criticize or condemn, you know, natural sweeteners like honey and maple syrup because they're they have fabulous minerals mm-hmm. and there's some really beneficial antioxidants and great things about them. That being said, sugar is sugar is sugar. I get a little tired of hearing about, well, it's organic sugar or it's cane sugar or it's, you know, molasses or it's maple syrup. It's like The body, the liver, doesn't care what it is, what form it's taken. Sugar is sugar is sugar. Our body really does metabolize it the exact same way. So yes, of course, refined white sugar that has nothing good in it Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Obviously, we want to stay away from that as much as possible. But really, if we're trying to lower our... Um, taste for sugar and if we're trying to get away from if there is an addiction here i definitely think it's important you can either do the moderation where you're really focusing and thinking about all the different ways that sugar shows up in your life or try doing a cleanse even if you just do three or four days that would kind of suck because right after you get through the withdrawals which are things like headaches, and uh, sometimes people just feel malaise, and just you know tired, and um, some people break out. So it's not fun going through the withdrawal, but if you can even just get through that for maybe four days or five days, just to see how differently you feel, it's pretty powerful. I think that's sometimes what we need to do. We need to create new neural pathways in our brain. So if you ever think about any shortcut you ever took as a kid where you cut across that person's lawn and all of a sudden that, that area is really tamped down after years and decades of it being used as a shortcut, that is like what habits do in our brains. So our brain is filled with these neural pathways that are just our easy buttons. It's just easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to have a glass of wine after work because that's what we do. It's easy for us to grab the chips and dip. I know you think you don't do sugar, but chips are carbs and it's all the same thing refined white carbs Oh, I'm not saying I don't do yeah. sugar. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do sugar. But I know a but lot I, of people yes. don't associate it. They think, well, I just do chips, so I'm not much of a sugar. It's like food is either a protein, a fat, or a carbohydrate. And so when we're talking about all of our junk food that we see out there, it's all about, you know, carbohydrates and just eating way too much of it. And uh, and so that would be the other tip, would just be to really pay attention to what you're doing. Write it down. Drink water. Get your sleep Definitely we need to get sleep. I know Natasha did a great job talking about cortisol and adrenal, um, our adrenal glands. And so, yeah, I mean, if we are stressed all the time and we're not sleeping and we are um, just feeling drained and dragging, we're first of all going to be craving carbohydrates. So I don't know if you've ever noticed when you're tired, you can't get enough muffins, bagels, cookies, brownies, cake, Mm -hmm. pasta, pizza. Like that's all you're craving because you're tired and your body's like, I need sleep. And you're like, too bad. <laughs> I'm working. And your body's like, well, then give me the fastest so- source of energy. And so you hit the Starbucks and wonder why you're so craving everything in the in the case. So um, definitely getting your sleep is going to be a huge benefit on on weight loss for that reason and also because we become overly stressed when we're not getting sleep. And so when we have excess um, cortisol and adrenaline floating through our bodies, then we, we store belly fat yeah. more readily. I just wrote about it. Everyone's Did like
0: cuz oh, you was like you look so great you're yeah. yeah sleep. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm 6 7 months now having like having sleep. I'm getting 14 hours of sleep a week. It's the best. And my body is just changing. It's yep. just naturally it's returned to its, you know, it, it's taking care of itself. And everyone asked me what have you done differently and I'm like, I'm sleeping. Isn't it and the best? and the problem was is that I knew when I wasn't sleeping why I was retaining, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just knew that I was never, that was never going to fix itself until I started sleeping. So it was very frustrating because I knew the answer. (laughs) I just, I just couldn't give my body the answer that it needed. So, but it's funny. A lot of people say, Oh my God, you look so great. And I'm just like, it's, it's It's the sleep. sleep. Um, but yeah, I want people to, for me, it was, it was amazing. And you know, but I think, and it's funny because I was doing some work and I, I, watched my sugar there was a a couple weeks where I was like okay I'm gonna be more cognizant of it um and when you kind of start to take things out and I haven't done a no sugar I just I haven't gotten to that point but how much better other things start to taste and how it does the cravings do they they do end. like you know like you get to a point and I, I want people to know that like there's like this aha moment and you and you still feel good and things still taste good and you still can eat awesome foods oh my like gosh. And I think that I think the people so like they just get so scared that they're and that or that they can never enjoy it I know. and I and I think that's that's the worst way to think about it you can still there's still life to be had there's still a celebration there's still yeah. an ice cream on a hot summer day to, like there are still ways to enjoy it yeah and that's so
1: true and for most of us that is the case and that's the case for me too is that I um, can still enjoy, you know, when I go to a family barbecue or something, I will enjoy whatever it is that's happening there. And, um, you know, I'll have a bite of this or that. And I'm not feeling any guilt about it. I I do what I want to do in my life. I eat really well most of the time. Uh, 75 to 80% of the time, I'm eating, you know, salads for lunch, often salads for dinner. I'm eating a green smoothie in the morning. I eat healthy snacks throughout the day. And you know what? 25, 20, 25% of the time, I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat. It might be pizza. It might be pasta. It might be having that brownie or that cookie or whatever but not everybody can do that and I want to make that point is that just like with alcohol with me um, there are people with full-blown sugar addiction that they have to stay away from sugar the way that I have to stay away from alcohol so for them it becomes a little bit more challenging because you really do feel like you are such a social outcast in, in a very similar way to, to the way I felt with with the first wedding I went to mm-hmm. sober or the first birthday party or the first party and the fact that you don't get invited to as many parties when you don't drink. And when you go to parties and you're not eating, it's that same pressure where people are like, well, try my muffins, try my cookies, try my whatever it is that I've made. And, um, and so if people with full-blown sugar addiction, it can be really challenging for them to get through. So I encourage them to kind of decide to do a challenge, something where like do some type of a cleanse, get a little bit of time and experience in your new life Style, so that when you go to that party that first time or when you go to that event where there's all of this temptation you've got a bit of a plan going mm-hmm. and I, I have something in the book where I share with people my strategies for going to buffets and um, weddings and different s- special events and things like that that can be really challenging. It's interesting because when you
0: know a person struggles like and I have you know friends that you know are alcoholics like I just know like to have something readily available yeah. or to say it's not going to be this environment come you know enjoy and I think people need to be mindful of not of understanding what that person is going through, to not say it's okay, you just have the one muffin or just like that the outside world needs to be a little bit more mindful of Mm -hmm. people having their battles and how difficult it is for that person to say no, totally. or to, I'm going to pass
1: yeah like, maybe if we can all just put ourselves into like Russell Brand was saying we all have something so instead of just looking at that one thing and thinking oh the poor thing can't drink or the poor thing can't have this muffin just think about you know well I have things in my life that I struggle with too and so this is their thing and I'm going to respect that so I think that's a good point
0: okay I want people to know where they can find all of these because you, you mentioned I think people are like okay she mentioned that she says there's strategies in the book so I think people are going to want to know where can they find the book yeah uh, and especially Especially too if they are committed to kind of having the maybe taking the the course online. Yeah. And that's a little bit of an easier transition yes, in easier. Um, and then going into the book. So where Sarah Talks Food is the web- website, right? I
1: would just send everyone there. Yeah, saratalksfood.com. You can check out the book. You can te- check out my course. You can just enjoy the blog. I also have something um, that people are really resonating with. It's called My 14 Days of Wellness. And it's just an email that you get for 14 days with different prompts and different suggestions on how to live healthy. Um, just different little tips like drinking water. So,
0: Yeah, but I mean in the recipes, is it that they're going to have to go find a whole bunch of different variations, or it's really just about omitting some of the things that they typically would throw in there.
1: Do you mean on my blog? Yeah, like you, you talked a lot about recipes. Well, there's recipes here, there's
0: recipes here. So
1: recipes on my blog are always just super healthy recipes. If you're doing a 28-day kick the sugar challenge, um, you may not be able to do some of, like I posted a recipe mm. for um ice cream. It's, it's a healthier ice cream. And uh, so those would be things that you would you would be avoiding if you were doing a sugar cleanse. But if you are just somebody that's looking to lessen the amount of refined mm-hmm. sugar that you eat or even natural sugar um definitely check out the book check out my blog check out you know all sorts of different resources that I've got there that I point you to other people too
0: and my last question just because I was thinking about it because you'd mentioned kids can we change the habits like if we can get to the kids as young as possible when they're starting to make that decision as Mm -hmm. to what's a healthy treat and what's a a, you know a real treat uh getting them quickly so that they're not building that sugar addiction as young as we're seeing it.
1: I mean, I'm not a parent and I respect and admire parents. The job that you people do is truly remarkable. I don't know how people do it and also get themselves ready and mm-hmm. go places and do things and do jobs. But I will say that I believe that a lot of, of the health future of a child is predetermined by their parents' choices early on. And so I think that parents model the behavior. Um, You know what your kids are going to do when they're teenagers? That's another ball of wax. But when I see pictures, and I'm really sorry for anyone that's listening or watching that's going to think that I'm pointing the finger at you, but when I see one-year-old birthday parties with the most disgusting, frosted, sugary cake, and the kid is covered in it, I get it's funny. um, But I feel like We are feeding our children drugs. I believe that sugar is the most insidious drug of all. Um, And I just see children that are then growing up with these habits that are reaffirmed. And it's really hard. As we've talked about those neural pathways, it's really hard to change a habit. We have to, we, we don't break habits. We make, we change behaviors. And and to be able to then put it onto the kid at the age of 15 when they're all of a sudden like, I am overweight and I'm feeling uncomfortable and I'm not happy with the way that I am and I am using food to soothe my emotions instead of bringing them out and talking about them. I think that that really does rest a lot on the type of food environment that parents set up for their kids. So if I am a par- if I was a parent and I have a niece and a nephew, so I definitely did do this a lot with, with them, um, Pretty much all of our meals were made at home. We would, we would have fun times. We would play. We would go out for special events. And I think that's a really good key is if it's inside the home, it's kind of the safe haven. It's like when I'm at home, I know that anything that I'm going to eat is pretty boring. It's, it's going to be healthy. And, um, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just real food. If I go out, that's where then it's that 20 to 25% of the time where I say, hey, I'm going to go out for a slice of pizza or I'm going to go and get that pasta dish or I'm going to have whatever, an ice cream cone. Um, And I think that that's a really good way for parents to... To set up their their homes is to say you know what inside the home we do things we do things this way and Corey Keeley is a is a friend of mine and I just adore her and she's the face of uh, Foodland Ontario and she talked on I invited her to speak on my blog and she was saying that she doesn't talk about healthy at home with her kids it's not healthy food versus junk food it's just food. And this is the kind of food that we eat and it's the kind of food that fuels us and makes us feel so good. So I think if we can really put the focus on feeling our best and helping our kids to feel their best. And that was the, the fifth thing that I was gonna share in my, my top tips is really, um, let's get to the root, to the underlying cause as to why we are filling the hole inside of us. Like, what was I filling the, what hole was I filling with alcohol? And before that, what was I filling with sugar? And after that, what was I filling with sugar? And when I finally brought that out into the light, the idea that I really never felt bonded or connected with my mother, and I had wished for a deeper connection with her, what happened then was that I was able to forgive her. I was able to understand her as just, like I said, a human woman. And we have now been able to forge a really beautiful new relationship where you know she's apologized and I don't even need her to apologize. But she said, you know, I wish I would have been there for you more. I wish I would have understood what you were going through. I just didn't know how to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed. I didn't know. And so, um, And so we just have come to this really beautiful place. And what's happened is, is that, you know, those sugar cravings, they kind of can go away when you're just really focusing on loving yourself and 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 I I've mentioned it before just really treating these bodies like the the temples that they are you yeah, get
0: one vessel yet one one
1: and one chance yeah, to live this it. life and I think I wrote about it today on the blog um when I eat salads every day so often you know I have I had a friend that would say to me oh my god I feel so sorry for you Like, you eat salad all the time and you're always eating healthy and like, I feel so bad for you. Like, you're missing out on so much. And I'm like, I I love love salad. (laughs) I love to eat the way I eat. And I would start to share recipes with her. This is before I wrote my book. And so I would start to share recipes and I'd say, well, taste this, taste this. And she would start to taste stuff and she's like, oh my God. I finally have realized you're not depriving yourself. I'm like, no, No. I'm not. Like, I'm living. Like, this is the way to me to live vibrantly is that I'm feeling good in my body. And I meet so many people that are feeling horrible in their body. Their their bodies are, are, they're feeling like their bodies are failing them. And what I want to say is, but what have you done to serve your body? What have you done? What have you given it? You've given it junk food. You haven't let it sleep. You never give it water. You never do all of the things activity-wise that you need to do to keep your body moving. What are you doing? And then you have the nerve to criticize this beautiful, precious gift that you've been given. That's not fair. That's not right.
0: I'm going to leave it on that. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, SarahTalksFood.com if you're looking for more information. Uh, of course, you're going to be able to find it here on Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. That's a wrap on Episode 24. Thank you so much.
1: Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the SoundOff Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, soundoff.network, Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.